Today's daf is daf Chof Ches, page 28. Helege the Nadarim, we got up to the Gemara, about eight lines to the top of Chof Ches. Let's go back and relearn the Mishnah on the bottom of Chof Zayin Amud Beis. Right, we're going to go back and restart the Mishnah. Three lines to the bottom of 27b. Fascinating Mishnah, which discusses somebody who lies to people, lies through a vow to people who are taking his things inappropriately. All right? Now, he's going to start making vows, and the shaila is, are these vows going to be effective? Now, again, what's the underlying factors that we take into account? What his mindset is, and also whether or not it was necessary for him to utter those words at all in order to protect himself. It was unnecessary. It was an unnecessary utterance. We're going to give him a 10-yard penalty, and he's, uh, he's going to have to follow through on his vow. But if it's necessary to protect himself, then he will not have to follow through. See, here we go. Says the Mishnah. If somebody makes a nether to somebody who comes threatening to kill him, or somebody who's coming to rob him, or somebody who's coming to collect taxes from him. The Gemara on today's daf will get into what does it mean taxes? You're not allowed to evade taxes. So we're obviously going to be dealing with somebody who's collecting taxes inappropriately. So he makes a vow to them to say, hey guys, I'm making a vow about what you're taking that Shahid Truma, that all this stuff is Truma. So you could take it, but I'm just letting you know, you can't do anything with it. See, they're big tzaddikim when it comes to Benodam Lamakim, they don't want to sin against God and eat truma that they're not allowed to eat. But Benodam Lachavere, they don't care about. Okay? Uh, which some people, by the way, just to pause for a moment, some people explain this was the issue of Dosan and Aviram. Dosan and Aviram, there's a fascinating question. We know these are the two brothers that got Maisha in trouble, right? They were fighting and they snitched to Paro that Maisha killed, uh, you know, killed the Mitzri. So Maisha has to run away. And they're still around until Kairach comes around. And the Eilam asks, the Velta asks, like, how'd they make it out of Mitzrayim? Four-fifths of Klal Yisrael, like, died during Makas Chayshech, according to the Pasha Pshat, according to the, the way the, the Pshat that Pasha Pshat means, Reb Shimon Schwab actually argues on this. He says it wasn't literally four-fifths. But the basic understanding is that four-fifths of Klal Yisrael perished. How did these two Hebra make it out? So they explain that they made it out because they had incredible Benodom Lamakom, they had complete amun and bitachon the rabbinic but their benadim lechaveri was just pathetic. So they became a constant thorn in the side of Moshe, you know, until the point where benadim lechaveri, the ground swallowed them up until it came time to pay, you know, uh, you know, to, to pay up for all their lack that they did to Maishra Rabbeinu. But be it as it may, the Mishra is giving us a case where these chevra that are coming to murder, they're coming to rob, or they're coming to take taxes that are, uh, that are illegal to collect. And this guy says, I'm just letting you know, if you take it, I'm making a vow, it's truma. So you guys gain nothing from collecting it. Alpha pisha in a truma, even if it's not really truma, you could say that. And then afterwards, if they don't take it, you could eat it. It's not a, it's, it's not, it's not a vow. Shaheen shall base hamelech. Or if he says to them, by the way, this belongs to the, the king. Alpha pisha in base melech. You're allowed to lie. And say it belongs to the king to scare them off. They don't want to touch the king's items, even though it doesn't really belong to the king. Okay. 
Beishamai says, Bechol Naidrim, in, in all these cases, you're allowed to make a nadir. We now turn to the top of today's daf. Chutz mi But you shouldn't take an oath. Remember, we're more strict on oaths because when it comes to an oath, we learned, we learned previously, the Torah the says about it, Baruch, who says, even if you follow through on your oath, you're not completely clean from that. We're, it's more severe. So Bishamai says, even though we're saying it's completely allowed to make an expression of a vow to stop this, you still should not take an oath. It's a big chiddush, because at least by murderers, right? Bishol says, no, even by Yeshua, there's no issue. Fine. It's fine. Here we go. Says the Mishnah, further clarification as to the Machlekes Beishamai Beisil of what is permitted to be said when you are under duress. Beishamai Oymrim Layiftach Beishamai says like this You cannot, the victim should not offer to make a vow proving his point unless he already says, Listen, guys, it's Truma. And they say to him, oh yeah, we don't believe you unless you make a vow. Okay, Bishamah says, then make a vow. But don't initially offer to make a vow. And if you do, it seems according to Bishamah, you have to follow your vow. You're going to have to follow through on it. Who gave you a right to do that? Ubesol says, no. Af If you feel that this is going to enhance your claim to stop people from taking your property or to protect yourself physically, you can even offer a vow, even if they don't ask for it. You can do whatever it takes, and you do not need to stand by your vow. You're totally fine afterwards. It's not forbidden to you. It doesn't, it's not truma. It's not the Beis HaMelech. Fine. Beishamai, again, just notice a pattern we're about to see. Beishamai is saying you can vow, but you, but you're lim- there's limits. There's limits. You shouldn't just vow it, you know, if you mamish don't need to. And Beisil is saying there's no limits, you're fine. Beishamai also, Beishamai says not only should you not offer a vow, if they don't force you to make a vow, but also you shouldn't, um, you, you're only going to be permitted to, to uh, remove the vow, we'll call it, or in other words, you're permitted to not follow through on the vow, if you vow in what they demanded. But if you add it on your own, you schmaltzed it up, as we're about to see, then you do need to take a vow. We'll see what the case is in a moment. Basil says, no, there's no limits. You're fine. You're fine. Even if they have you make a vow and you add to the vow, don't worry about it. You don't need to follow through. What's the case? Ketzad, for example. They say to him, the guy says, I'm telling you, it's Shuma. And the bandits say to him, oh, Really? I want you to say right now uh, that I'm I'm forbidding any sort of benefit to my wife from my wife if it's if it's not truma. This way we'll believe you it's truma. And he says, oh, "You want me to vow that my wife's forbidden to benefit? Let me tell you something. The Yamar Kainam Ishti Uban I'll even vow that my Gansam Mishbuche, not only my wife, my kids, my Yenikluch, my aunts, my uncles. He schmaltzes it up and he adds things in that he didn't need to." Okay, so Beishamai Oymrim, Beishamai says, let me tell you something, Ishtay Muteres, his wife, who he was obligated to say, is permitted to benefit, but Ubana Basura. There cannot be any benefit between him and his kids. Because you didn't need to say that. You had no need, there was no responsibility to say that. But Beishel Oymrim says, no, Elu Elu Mutarim. Since the vow is made from the need to protect yourself, it doesn't matter what they, if they asked you to say this, if you'd said on your own accord, 
bottom line is you didn't mean it. You're just trying to get them out of your, uh, you know, out of your house, trying to get yourself to a place of safety. Shalom al Yisrael. There's no concern according to Beis Hillel. Okay, straightforward, very gishmaka. Uh, we could really understand the thought. We can understand where Beis is coming from. Okay, where he says, listen, vows are serious, and you can only do what you're obligated to do. And we can understand Beis Hillel, who says, listen, when you're in a matzav of, uh, when you're in a situation where there is danger, even if it's financial danger, because they're not threatening to hurt me, these bandits are just trying to take my stuff. They're just trying to take my property. Even when you're trying to protect your property, since you didn't mean it, you could schmaltz it up, you can add to what they want, you could say things that they didn't even ask you to say, just go away from my property, there's no problem. Says the Gemara, a uh, question on the beginning of our Mishnah. Our Mishnah said that if if uh, murderers come, if bandits come, if tax collectors come, and you want to get them away. So you can, you're allowed to make a vow, there's no problem. Ask the Gemara, is a Jew allowed to evade taxes? Very simple question, right? Now we, we kind of explained this when we learned the Mishnah. But the Gemara says, Vamar Shmuel, Dina Dimachusa Dina. Shmuel says, if the law of a land is the law of a land, if you're obligated to pay taxes, what right do you have to lie to the tax collector and tell him that there's no taxes, that you're not able to pay taxes when you really have access to the money? We're not dealing with a standard tax collector. If, you have, if you're in a tax bracket, you've got to pay 10% the tax, 20% the tax, 5% the tax, no percent the tax, whatever it is, you have to pay whatever that is. But here we're dealing with a tax collector who... There's no specific amount. This is very, very common throughout Jewish history where Jews would live in a shtetl. They live in a place. And then the governor, whatever it was, the mayor, eh, they would place these taxes on the Jews that were so arbitrary. There was no set amount. They were just just hacking the, the community of Chinik. And when there's no set amount, the community is allowed, uh, allowed to vow their way out of it. And a person is allowed to vow away and say, well, why are you charging me this like random amount? Because you think the Jew, that Jews are rich. No, we don't have it. And that, oh, what do you mean? You have that? You're, no, that's Truman. That's not mine. That, no, that belongs to the king. No, that's not mine. So over there, you're allowed to do it because people are taking money from you that they have no right to. The Bey Rav the House of Yana, they said another, another possibility why you're allowed to knock this guy, uh, uh, you know, roll him out of your house. We're dealing with also the, uh, a similar situation, but you have a guy who decides he's the local tax collector. All right, so is he sent by the king? No. Is it a law of the government? No. But there's a guy here who's got power, and basically what he wants is bribes. That's what he wants. He's, con- he's well-connected, and he's, he's hooked up with the government or whatever it is, or he's going to, unfortunately, you have situations even nowadays, usually not on, you know, not on this level, but people, yeah, you have gangsters, you have mobsters, and they, they get fi- finances out of people because th- that's just what they do. And they really have no right to it, but people are stuck and they have no way out of it. Under those circumstances, you know, they're calling it a tax, but ultimately it's not a tax. Either way, no matter which answer you're going to follow, what the Gemara is explaining to us is, if it's tax of the kingdom, if it's tax of the country, you're certainly obligated to pay. You decided to live there, you got to follow the regular rules. But if there's tax that's being collected that's not being collected by the kingdom been collected by individuals, by chveis, uh, whatever it is, or people, or, or there's no set amount that you're really obligated to pay. It's not getting tug. Uh, you know, a yid has a right to push that off. Beautiful. Okay, so that's clarified. Next, the Mishnah said, Shehein shel beis hamelech. 
I say to this tax collector or this robber or this murderer, I say, listen, hey, th- that stuff, by the way, belongs to the king's palace. But my, um, uh, even though it doesn't really from the king's palace. What type of nether did he make? Where the guy says, I am forbidding all the fruits in the world on myself if, it's, if it doesn't belong to the king. So he used a very broad expression. Yeah, you know how you know how you should believe. You know why you should believe in that it belongs to the king? Because if not, all the fruits of the world are usher to me. Says Gora, what does that mean? As soon as he says they are usher to me, if I'm lying to you, right? He's trying to prove himself. If I'm lying to you, they should all be usher. Says Gemara, you are lying. So it's alma. It should become usher. You're basically sticking your foot in your mouth with this. The Gemara is asking a beautiful shayla, which is this type of statement. You're setting yourself up to be forbidden to eat the fruits either way. So the Gemara says, "No, He said, "Today I'm not. I'm forbidden to eat fruits." To which the Gemara says, "Nobody's going to let him get away with that. No murderer, bandit, tax collector is going to be like, oh yeah, I believe you because you're forbidding fruits today.'" <laughs> Hey, that's not much of a that's not much of a commitment. Yeah, they're they're not going to accept that answer. What happened was like this: He says, "I'm forbidding all the fruit in the world," but inside his heart, he all he means is today. Now listen to this; is beautiful. The Alpha Gav, even though there's a rule, even though there's a rule that when you say something, and it's in your, I'm sorry. If you intend to say something, but you don't say it, it's too bad. We only know what you're expressing. See, even though, even though generally, devarim believe words in your heart are not words. If you didn't express it, we don't take it into account. So what does it help if you, if you thought in your mind uh, only today? Legabi Einstein shiny. If you're being forced, if you're in a pickle, we'll actually accept devarim shabalev. Of incredible novel idea over here, which is usually the rule is, and this is so important in life, just because we're thinking something doesn't mean that we've said it. It applies in a positive way. It applies in a negative way. In a positive way, meaning you, you might love somebody, a spouse, a friend, a colleague, a child. If you don't tell them, they don't know. And then they say, oh, how do, how do I know you really love me? How do I know you really like me? What do you mean? Of course I... Did you ever say that? You ever expressed it? You ever expressed it? People have a hard time expressing their feelings. Expressing words. We, we expect people to know what we're feeling without, without saying it. We have to, it's not, if it's in your heart, people don't know what you're thinking. So say it. If it's important to say, say it. And if it's not important to say, then don't say it. But But if it's an ainus, it's different. If your person's forced, if there's a unique situation, then ideally, says the Gemara, you could keep, even even ideally, you could keep in mind that what I'm saying is not a complete statement. I.e., for example, I say to this bandit, I'm forbidding any fruit forever. I'm, I'm, for, I'm forbidding all fruit in the world. Not forever. I'm forbidding all fruit in the world. In my heart, I'm saying in my mind, today, 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 today. Just Toshkia. Yeah. I didn't say it. That's okay. 
there's no issue whatsoever because again you are under duress and dvarim shall believe habi dvarim when you when you are a when you are an inus. Okay, fine. Next part of the Mishnah. Now this is if you see the two dots here and you see a two dots uh, six lines later. These six lines are a quote from the end of our Mishnah. So one long Mishnaic. Quote. Here we go. Beishamai Omrim. Beishamai says, "Bakol v'chulu." Beishamai Omrim b'Meshu who madiray that he's that um, he's only allowed to make a vow and what they told him to make a vow on. Beisol Omrim af b'she'ena madiray. Beisol says that even if he extends the vow, Ketzad, for example, the Mishnah told us, "Amar lai." If the bandits, um, if, if he says to him, "Kainam ishti nenasli," you know that you, you that they say to him, if if. Um, you know, you're telling the truth, make a vow forbidding your wife. Bishamai says, you didn't need to add in your children, you did that on your own, you're going to have to follow through on forbidding benefit to and from your children. There's no issue What there's no issue over here whatsoever, they're both going to be allowed again, because we view the entire thing as if there's, there's duress. Okay, that was a quote for the Mishnah. Here we go, says the Gemara, Amar of Huna, Rafuna says, Tana, we learned, we, we taught in a brisa, Bishami says, that Bishami is of the opinion that if the bandits, the tax collector, the murderers, don't ask you for a, uh, don't ask you for a uh, oath, you're not allowed to offer it. Yeah, you can't offer to be like, oh, you want me to prove? An oath is okay. Now, Notice in our Mishnah, what were we talking about? Vows. Over here, we're quoting a brisa describing oaths. Says the Gemara, Libe Shamai, according to Bishamai's opinion, it seems that an oath which is more strict because of layinake, right? You're not clean, do more machmir on oaths. So therefore, um, you, you, can't, you can't initiate the oath. But let's say it would be a vow. Bishamai seems to hold from this brisa. You could initiate a vow. But the problem is, in our Mishnah we learned, you cannot initiate a vow. So that's one, we're asking a contradiction. Our Mishnah seems you only can't initiate, our Mishnah seems you cannot initiate a vow or a oath. And that brisa seems to imply you cannot initiate an oath, but you could initiate a vow. So that's going to be question number one. Visu and Fevermod, the only thing you're not allowed to do is offer to take an oath. But that seems to imply, let's say they demand an oath. If they demand an oath, yeah, take an oath. But in our Mishnah, you should never take an oath. So which one is it? Oh. So we have two questions. Between the Mishnah and Brisa, both of them seem to be a contradiction in Shitas Beishamai and Beishamai's opinion. Again, what are two questions? In our Mishnah, Beishamai says, you can never take an oath. In the Brisa, Beishamai says, you cannot initiate an oath. Also, in our Mishnah, Beishamai says, that you cannot offer a vow. In the Brisa, he says, you cannot offer an oath, which seems to imply you could initiate a vow. Okay? So those are the two issues we need to reconcile. Says the Gemara, Tana, Beishamai. That really there's no contradiction. Why? Our Mishnah only mentioned the nether to teach us the strictness of Beishamai. 
what do you mean uh, strictness? Beishamai is strict in our Mishnah, right? He says, you can't, you can't offer a vow. You can't say anything more than they force you to say. And we're dealing with Nadara. We're not even dealing with Shavuos. We're dealing with a nether that is more lenient than a Shavuah. And still, even within a nether, Beishamai says, there's some important limitations of what you're allowed to say. Tana b'raisa b'shvul, and then the b'raisa they're focusing on shvul. Teach us the leniency of b'shvul. In other words, the Gemara is answering the only contradiction in the Mishnah b'raisa is with the diukim, with the inferences. But don't make those inferences because there's just different focuses. Our Mishnah is focusing on the chumra of b'shamai. That b'raisa focusing on the leniency of b'shvul. But what they're implying the other direction that don't imply those things. We just didn't mention it because that's not the chiddush. Of the Mishnah, and it's not the Chiddush of the Brisa. No contradiction. Ravashi, Yomar, Ravashi, Zachi, Ketani. Really, the, another possible answer is that really this is what we mean to say. That even though you're allowed to take an oath, if you make the oath, it's in play. It's in play. It's, you know, it's, uh, you got to follow through on it. Bishol says, no, you can remove even if there is a shvua. They go to a rav and he finds a Pesach, he finds an opening, and it could be a you can ask for it to be removed. Bishamai says, an oath will, if it was an expression of oath, it cannot be removed. Bishol will be lenient and says, it may be removed. Okay. Gvaldik. Next mission. Four lines to the bottom of Chofches Amad Aleph. Here we go. Harei Netiyah Yisraelu Karbon. This guy says, let these plantings, these Netiyos, be like a carbon. What does that mean, be like a carbon? Be forbidden to me. These plantings should be forbidden to me. Im einon niktzatzais. If... It doesn't get cut if it doesn't fall down. Now, why would he say don't fall down? For whatever reason, imagine imagine a scenario where you're trying to describe to your friend a good November Midwest storm. Oh, the winds, the lightning, the thunder, the clap. Yeah, the clap. Of these storms right before winter starts and fall and spring. You could have a geschmack storm with strong winds. He says, this his friend. He says, his friend's like, I don't, be- I don't believe you. The winds really? The thunder like this? He says, I'm telling you. I know for sure. I know for sure. I could look at the tree in my backyard. If that tree is not down within, by, by Shkia tonight, it's, it should be like a carbon. He's like strengthening. You know, it's like usher to be like, of course it's going to fall down. These trees are falling left and right. They're flying all over the place. Raining cats yeah, and dogs. it's raining cats and dogs. You mamish, you go and you, you know he's 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 you know he's making a uh, he's making a whole story over here. So he says, let these things. If it's not, if it doesn't fall down, it should be like um, it should be like a carbon usher to me or talizu carbon amen on This talis should be like a carbon if it's not burnt. The halacha is yesh lahem pidyan. You got to follow through, and if you ever want to use that talis again or you want to use these plantings, you need to give that amount of money to Hektish in order to redeem it. Okay? If a person, however, says, these plantings should be a carbon until it's cut down. Not if it gets burned, or if, but it's going to be forbidden to me until it cuts down, or until 
it is uh, it's burnt. Top of Amud Beis, Ein Lahem Pidyon. There's no place here for redemption. Okay, no place here for redemption. Uh, the Rashi here kicks in, and uh, the the Ran says Begemara Mefarish. Rashi gives a little more of an explanation, and he says ever. Ever, you can never redeem them. They can never become chulin because they become intrinsically kadosh. And the Gemara will explain. Okay, zokt the Gemara. The listening kedushais, the ain kedushais. The Gemara says, why doesn't the Mishnah say they are hektish if it happens, and they're not hektish if it doesn't happen? In other words, the Gemara is asking a very basic question. What does our Mishnah say? If it fell down, then, I'm sorry, you know, if he says, I'm letting you know, it, it's, it's a carbon if this tree isn't, isn't cut down. It's a carbon, it's a carbon if this talus isn't burnt. We say, you could redeem it. And then we say, there's no redeeming it. Ask the Gemara, why are you getting into redeeming? Redeeming is a step after something's already hectish. Why don't you just use an easier term of it is hectish or it's not hectish? Why are you jumping from the word carbon to redemption? Just say, here it's hectish, and I know whatever halachas of hectish are there, are there. And if it's not hectish, it's not hectish. But why pidyon? Samar so answers, you're right, but there's an added idea. I de since the boy the Mr. Seifa, Elam Pidyon, since it's important at the end of the Mishnah to use the expression of Ain Lahem Pidyon, Tanamirisha, Yesh Lahem Pidyon. Now we don't know for sure, we haven't really clarified why it has to talk about Pidyon, why it has to use that expression at the end. But as we'll see soon, when the Gemara explains, there, we need to mention Pidyon at the end, and therefore, in classic Gemara fashion, it explains that the Mishnah is just keeping a consistent expression. For whatever reason, we need Pidyon at the end, so we need Pidyon in the beginning as well. Okay? Ask the Gemara. Hechi Nadar. Hechi Nadar. How did this Nadar come about? What, what happened? Amar Amimer, Amimer says, here's what happens. Ba'imer, a guy says, I want these things to be a carbon. I want my plantings to be a carbon if, they, if they're not cut down today. I'm so confident these things will be cut down, they'll be down by today because of the storm, because whatever. So um, I, uh, I want it to be, a, you know, it, it'll be a carbon. And then what happens is, the day passes, What'd you say? What'd you say is going to happen if it's not down by tonight? It's hektish. It's a carbon. Sebeseda. What's Allah? It becomes a carbon. Because that's what you said. Is there any problem with this? Chavra, listen closely. A guy looks at a tree and he says, this tree is a carbon if it's not cut down by tonight. And the tree is not cut down. What's the halacha? It's a carbon. Is there any conversation? This is a classic Statement, a classic nether statement. Making a vow, this tree is a carbon if it's not cut down. If it's not cut down, do I, uh, is there any conversation? Ask the Gemara, in Cain, I don't understand. What, what are you saying? Pshita, this is such a simple halacha. It's Pashit. Whatever, isn't there's no, no chiddush here. It says Gemara, like Tzricha, no, there's a chiddush over here because the case is, what happens is, that there's a very strong wind, and he's assuming that it's going to fall down, okay? 
I would say, ready? That he wants it to be hectish anyway. Because he's so certain that this storm, the winds that are here, is going to knock down the tree. I would say, when he said that statement, that if it's not down by tonight, it's, it's a carbon. Basically, what he's saying is, it's automatically down. I, I want my tree to be a carbon, whether or not it falls down. Okay? Says the Gemara, and, and that's Takachidish. Takachidish. Says the Gemara, and also think about it. We learned about a talus. Yeah? What did he say about the talus? He says, My talus should be like a carbon if it's not burnt. Says the Gemara, one second. The talus, the sreifa kaima, do you, does a person expect their talus to be burnt? Do you expect the talus to be, like, it's such a random statement. It's a random statement. Says the Gemara, in, maybe yeah, maybe yeah, why? Kigoyin, for example, maybe there's a fire. Maybe there's a fire. So he wants to say, you know, let's say the fire grabs my talus. I want, and, and my talus makes it out alive. I want it to be hectic. There's a big wind. And he says, he says, listen, if my plantings are, are saved, I want it to be hectish. Beautiful. And that's why if it's not saved, it's not hectish. And I would have thought, the masikadaita would have entered my mind, that it's not going to be saved. That maybe he would have thought that initially it's not going to be saved. That's why he made the vow, Kamashwan. The Mishnah comes to let us know that the nether works. MMA, it depends. It depends what happens. Ultimately, if the tree fell down, um, if, uh, if the tree fell down or the talus uh, makes it out alive, the Allah is, they do belong to Hektish. Okay, beautiful. Two dots. Next part of the Mishnah. The guy says, If he says, I want these plantings to, be, um, to belong to Hektish until they're cut down. Yeah? So then we said, that was the last expression of the Mishnah, in lehem pidyan. There's no redemption over here. Says the Gemara, Ula Ailam. What do you mean there's no redemption? Is there a is there a, uh, a permanent hectish over here? Lailam? Omar Barpada Barpada says, I'll explain to you the case. The case is Padon Khajrais Vikajis, meaning Padon Khajrais Vikajis, Achayik Tatsu. So what happened was he redeemed it and he made it hectish. Padon, he redeemed it, Khajrais Vikaj, made hectish again. Until ultimately they are cut down. Okay? Meaning, what he wants is that no matter what, it should remain hectish. And even if he redeems it, he wants it that it should constantly remain hectish. Until it's cut down. You understand? Once it's cut down, he could redeem it one time, pay for it, and that is enough. So let's pause and explain. What does the Mishnah mean, in lahem pidyon? What does the Mishnah mean, there's no redemption over here? Like the last words, top of today's, uh, today's um, uh, of Chavcha Samad Beis. Yeah? What does that mean? It says it's more beautiful. You know what the case is? It's amazing. Barpada says, here's what the guy does. He sanctifies his tree. Listen closely. He makes it hectish. It's gishmak. He makes his tree hectish. It's hectish right now. <coughs> and then he redeems it. It's Pida. Redeems his tree. And then 
the, what, what happened was, initially, he said that until this tree is cut, it's automatically hectish. So why did you redeem it? The answer is, you're just trying to give more money to hectish. Mm. So what he's saying now is like this. It's Sunday. He's saying, my tree's around. I want this tree to remain hectish until it's cut. And then he goes Sunday afternoon, and he redeems the tree. Guess what happens? It's still hectish. Because he said it's going to remain hectish until it's cut. So even though you redeemed it, it remains hectic because it's not cut yet. So all you did was is donate money to the base of Mikdash. And then on Monday, you donated the same amount again to redeem it. And then what happens? It still remains automatically hectic because your original vow that this is going to be a Kaddish tree until it's cut down. And then finally on Wednesday, finally on Wednesday, he cuts down the tree. And the, the hectic tree, this tree that he couldn't get rid of the, the hectic now he cuts it down, and then he pays hectish. Uh, so now it becomes his. Now it's redeemed, Taka, because he said, I need continuous hectish only until it falls down. That's how Barpada explains the last case of the Mishnah. Again, so when the Mishnah said, from the bottom of Chav Chesomad Aleph, it said, um, This tree is going to remain holy until it's cut. Says Barpada, you know what that case is? He's, as much as as many times as he redeems it, it doesn't matter. Remains hectic. Once he cuts it and redeems it, in a chanami, it loses its kedusha. Vulamar, Ula gives another answer, and Vulamar and Ula says, "Kivan shenekzatsu shuv ein paidim." He says, "Once it's cut down, he no longer needs to redeem them uh, ever again." Why? Because he said, "How long is it hectic? Only while it's standing until it's cut." Mamela. Once it's cut down, you don't have to redeem it again. Now, there's a difference between Barpada and Ula, is that Barpada says, after it's cut, you redeem it again to remove its Kedusha. According to Ula, he says, no, no, no. Once the tree is cut, it, that itself is a redemption. Herzechayim, listen closely. Again, what did I say? I said, this tree is Kadosh until it's cut. Says Ula, guess what? If you cut it, do you have to redeem it? No. The hectic falls off automatically. So according to Barpada, you need one more redemption. One second. You need one more. Re- according to Barpada, you need one more redemption after it's cut to get rid of the hectic. While according to Ula, you know what it means? Ein lahem pidyon. Ein lahem pidyon means you don't need to redeem it because it fell off automatically. That's Machlech's Barpada and Ula. And we'll hold it here. Bezim, tomorrow we will pick up questioning these opinions between Ula and Barpada. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead.